I've found that there's these five different pillars in our careers that change and evolve over time. And you usually have one or two of these pillars that are the leading motivating pillars for you. And so they are to get high, get free, get ahead, get secure and get balanced. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much again for tuning in to another episode of The Thinking Project. Today, I had the privilege of interviewing Ella Wright, who is a career coach. She's a uh, career transition coach. She helps people communicate. And this was an amazing podcast because, you know, if you guys know me, I love talking about how to ask better questions, how to really dig into the psyche of another person. And Ella does that beautifully. She teaches communication in the workplace. We had an amazing conversation. So, Ella Wright is on the podcast. Let me go over some housekeeping real quick before I let you discover the amazing person that she is. Remember that this podcast isn't sponsored by anybody anymore, but if you want to contribute to the show and support it, you can do that by joining the Empathetic Selling Group. It's $79 a month. You get amazing benefits. So if you're a salesperson, business owner, creative, anybody who wants to learn how to sell better, how to market themselves better, how to brand better, uh, let me show you how to do that. Join the group, empatheticselling.com. Ella's links will also be in the description below. She does private coaching. She does business coaching. She does coaching for large organizations. So if you want to get in touch with her, all of those will be in the description below. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Remember to hit that subscribe button, that follow button. That helps us out tremendously if you don't want to join the groups or contribute monetarily. Thank you so much. And please welcome Ella Wright. All right, Ella, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for this conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, we uh, we got introduced, I just think, through LinkedIn, right? And it's been a really fun yeah. uh, to get to know you and follow you on LinkedIn and uh, all of your things with like career development, which is the first question I want to ask you, because with all of these layoffs happening, with all of these big career changes going on, and especially like in Salt Lake in the tech industry, but really anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like no, no one's really safe from this. So what is your, I guess, to start off, to kick off with your expertise, what's the main thing that people should be focused on if they've been laid off or if they have a fear of being laid off in their job? Like how, what should they be focusing on? What should their mindset be? That's a good question. I think one thing that I've, I was actually reflecting on this week is I have a hard time sometimes with people who were like, you should be recession proofing your career because I think there are things that you should be doing in your career consistently and always, not just when there's a recession. And I feel like a lot of people are now kind of using the recession as a way to, I mean, obviously sell their services, right? Like I, I could even use that, right? Of, of, you know, you need to do this, but I think as far as mindset wise, it's, and, and this is something I talk to a lot of the people that I coach in career development is define what your measures of success are and have your job be something that helps you achieve them instead of your job being your only measure of success. Because I think what's happened now that you're not getting that promotion or there's limitations or there's layoffs, there's all these different things that are outside of your control. You're now putting your measures of success in someone else's hands. And I think when you create a life based on values and commitments that expand into other areas like hobbies and well-being and and you have all these different other sources of challenge and fulfillment and you also have a really cool job, if your job changes, I'm not going to diminish the fact that like getting getting laid off or or you know cha- a change in income is is really challenging and there's grief and a lot that goes on with that, but it becomes one factor that you can control and change while still achieving success in your life. And and so I think that's what a lot of people are realizing is I can't rely on my career to be everything for me, to be this primary source of success and fulfillment. I really need to step back and make sure that I have a well-balanced life so that if I lose my career, I have the mental and emotional tank to find a new role and to still see a light at the end of the tunnel because my life doesn't revolve around work. Yeah. I, well, and I love that because I was affected by layoffs 
you know, we're recording this December 29th. Um, I was 2022. I was laid off earlier this year. And one of the things, and this is just my personal experience, layoffs suck for everybody. And the experience is different for everybody. My experience was, uh, it was, first of all, it was really shocking. It wasn't like, you, you know, it's just, it was just a very strange time in my life. But one thing that you said is how, is kind of how I approached it, which is like, I know kind of like my values, my goals. I know what I'm good at. So for me, getting laid off wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to me because like I knew I had skills. I knew I had goals like that would help me no matter what. And eventually like um, I was able to go through that experience and come out really a better person and a better employee because I, I was much more confident. Well, I had to be much more confident in the skills that I had. So like as a salesperson, right. And that's what, um, that's what I, that's what I, I really like about, you know, how you talk about communication, how you talk about like career development and things like that. Um, and, and layoffs are just crazy and people are just, you know, the, the whole job market is just wild right now. What are your thoughts on like everything that's going on? As far as, you know, in the climate right now, I know, I know we kind of talked about like what people's mindset should be, but now I'm curious as a career development, um, you know, and, and as a leadership, you know, mentor for people, how do you feel about what's going on? Yeah, I, it's hard because there's so many perspectives and I've also found that my perspective has changed. I think someone who was, I was in a people leadership position working for a company that did mass layoffs. And I see a lot of, I saw a video just on TikTok yesterday. And I think, so it's interesting. There's all these dynamics happening in the workplace. And then there's this second wave or element to all these dynamics. And it's what's being said on social media about them. So it's really interesting. I, I, so for example, I saw this video on TikTok yesterday, this guy who has this huge following who talks about recruiting and hiring and resumes, right? There's a lot of those people and they're great. But he was like, if you, you know, if you get laid off from a job and your manager doesn't sit down with you one-on-one -on -one and tell you that you're being laid off, then you're better off without that person. You need to find a company where you can actually trust your manager and you just, you know, you should have never trusted them in the first place. I don't know. Is this very, very critical lens on hiring managers and or managers in general? And there was all these comments of like, hey, I actually never had a decision in the layoffs. Here's another perspective. You know, I, I mm -hmm. found out that that individual is being laid off when they did. And so mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting just what's happened in 2022, whether it's been layoffs or people talking about quiet quitting or remote work, <laughs> all these different topics, I see very different, maybe not very different, but I feel like there's this LinkedIn audience that I'm connected to, which is all of my colleagues and my network who are in people operations and sales and podcasting and, and really wanting to be informed. And then there's this other narrative on TikTok and Instagram. And so I think just one thought I've had is, you know, companies need to realize that when their employees are having questions, they're not going to their leader as often as they're going to TikTok. TikTok is the new mm -hmm. Google. That's where they're going to go to find mm -hmm. out, you know, what to do if you just got laid off and they're going to see these very harsh and like critical videos. And they're also going to see very informational and encouraging videos. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know if that, if that's, if that answers your question, but I just think it's interesting yeah. to see the two different narratives of like LinkedIn's like, we got this, we're leaders, we're going to push through this. And then you have the TikTok narrative. That's like, screw corporate America. We don't need them, but that's <laughs> coming from an influencer who's not working for corporate America, it's easy for them to say right. they suck because that's not who's paying them, right? You still have a lot of these people right. who we need to work for someone. So I yeah. think that's where my passion comes in and, and how can I teach people to have better conversations with their leaders and come at this from both sides of the bridge in a more positive way? I, I really appreciate your thoughts on that because I, I'm in the same kind of camp. Like I was laid off and I remember the hiring manager was there. There were two people there who weren't involved in the decision. And I just remember like having a lot of empathy for that. Like I couldn't imagine mm. 
being in a position where you're you we're on in 24 you know in in the eight hours you're scheduled to work that day like because i'm in sales we work whenever right <laughs> like yeah. but but for them the whole eight hours you have to work that day is laying off 30 to 40 people that would be so hard and that is and most of the time you're right like most of the time they don't they just get told to do a job right mm -hmm. and so i think we people are missing a lot of empathy i, I think it sucks on both sides i think that it's tough, but then you have people who can help you roll through that. And I think you're also right. One of the things make the, while you were talking that I was thinking of was like nine to five bashers. Like I, I've never been a fan of those guys either. Cause like, yeah, I'm, I, I would consider myself like an entrepreneur and I still have a nine to five. Like I'm a, I'm a sales guy and I'll probably never not have a sales job because number one, because I love it. I love being on a team. I love being in that atmosphere. And then two, it's just like, you know, I, I'm good at what I do so I can, you know, and everybody's like, well, you're, you're, you're making someone else a millionaire. And I was like, I don't know if you know how sales works, but I'm, I'm getting a pretty big chunk of that. If I, you know what I mean? If I'm doing my job right. So like, I've absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. And, and I, and I do think a lot of the nine to five bashers and that like I quit my nine to five in July. Yeah. To, to be an entrepreneur, but also mm -hmm. I would go back to nine to five if it made sense for me. And I think it, that goes yeah. back to what I initially said is if a nine to five helps you meet your values and needs and what success looks like for you, do that, do it really well. Mm -hmm. That's great. And if being an entrepreneur or working part-time or doing contract freelance work, but I think what's hard is, is yeah, I think the nine to five bashers create a lot of shame and guilt around working for someone mm -hmm. else, around working a nine to five when really... That's what the majority of people are doing, but there's a few exceptionally loud voices who don't work that nine to five and who are saying, you know, you all could be working 10 hours a week like me and, and, and sitting out in Costa Rica and you guys are all, yeah. you know, worse well, off for what you're well, doing. Well, it's funny. And I would love to, and, and I think we should talk about this, but for me, in response to the nine to five bashers, it's like, first of all, yeah, we shouldn't be making people feel bad because- I know, like I grew up in a really, like, I know you're in the Midwest. I grew up mm -hmm. in a part of the Midwest where that was like every, like we were all nine to fivers. Maybe somebody owned a construction business. Maybe somebody owned this or that, right. Or, or did that, but like, and, and you know what though? So many people in my hometown were happy. Like that's what they wanted to do. We were cool. Like we went, <laughs> we, we ate breakfast and, and they drank coffee at the local grocery store. We went, we went to work, we came home and we had fun. And then we, and we did it all over and people were really happy. You know what I mean? Um, so, so I always just tell people, I'm like, it's a lot, this makes a lot of people happy and statistically it's impossible. Like it's impossible for all of us to be entrepreneurs. Number one, totally. because most people don't like some people don't want to number two, because some people, this is one that I get really passionate about. It's like, you see this guy working 10 hours a week in Costa Rica or wherever, right? Have you, if you've ever done that, it's actually not as fun as it sounds. Like it actually can get very, just as, just as monotonous as a nine to five. Cause I, I, I don't know, like one time, and I, and I do this from experience because one time I had this nine to five or I had a sales job. And before that, like traveling outside salesperson, like business every week, like I'm flying here for business. I did that for like six months and we were in, I was in the Midwest, a different city in the Midwest every week. Um, for like three or four days out of the week. And after like three months, I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Anymore. I don't like being in airports. I don't like being in hotel rooms. I don't like telling people that I'm out for business. It was, it was not fun. So yeah. Anyways, yeah. I think there's trade-offs in with everything. Yeah. And, and so anyway, that was just my point is like to your, is like most people are happy doing nine to five. It actually kind of, it actually isn't that fun if you're not in the right, if you're not the right person to do that. And then of course it's just like, you know, it's not possible. Right. So anyway, it's just, yeah. it's just wild, but I want to get your thoughts. You mentioned earlier, quiet quitting. And that's something that I totally forgot about, but talk to me, talk to us about quiet quitting your experience with that as a, you know, as the position you're in, um, as a, your career and development coach, uh, what are, what are like, what are like, the the things with quiet quitting that you just maybe like 
do you have a strong stance on it? Do you have like strong opinions about it? What do you think? I definitely have opinions. I think everyone has opinions. Um, yeah. it's, it's a little bit similar to what I had mentioned of like, I see these two threads of people who are like, how to stop quiet quitting from this leadership perspective, because I, I create leadership content for small businesses. I, I work with leaders. I network with a lot of leaders, but then I also have all these individual people who I don't think in like explicitly think I'm going to quiet quit. I think out of necessity to preserve their well-being or I read, oh man, I want to, I want to look up what it was called. It was talking about like the mm -hmm. grief that people go through after layoffs when you are still in, man, I, yeah. Oh, it was called, <laughs> it was called hypervigilance. And it's this experience that happens when you're in an environment that's been threatened for a long time, you constantly start to question everything because things have been unstable for a long time. So for example, that's like your company's experience layoffs. So every time your boss puts a meeting on account on your calendar, you're now like, Oh, am I getting laid off? Oh, am I getting a reduction in pay or title or things changing on our team? Is there another change coming that I'm unprepared for? And so I think quiet quitting I don't think like the workforce is going out there intentionally saying we're going to quite quit. I think they're saying I'm in this state of hypervigilance and stress and questioning. What can I do to create stability or to just kind of, yeah, like, like, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I don't like that critical lens of, you know, people are lazy. They're just doing the least amount of work for me. For example, when I was in my nine to five previously, I had Slack on my phone, as many people do, and I live in the East Coast. The majority of the team that I led lived on West Coast time. So it would be 5 p.m. for me, and it could still be 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. for my team. <laughs> so I was yeah. ending my day three hours earlier, and obviously they're self-sufficient. They can do things, but I would be answering messages on Slack for my team, for other leaders, business partners until 8 p.m., 9 p.m. sometimes, because that's when others were ending their workday. And there came a point in time where I took Slack off of my phone. I let my team know. I said, hey, this is really important for me. I'm not feeling present when I'm eating dinner. And I would never want any of you to do that as well. So if, I don't know if you guys have Slack on your phone, but you can take it off too, because as your leader, I'm telling you that I don't have it on my phone. Um, I'm, I'm not checking emails after this time. And I think maybe some people would call that quiet quitting. I'm not sure, but I think it's figuring out at what level can you continue to operate effectively while also not overextending yourself. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot more to quiet quitting. Maybe, you know, people really are clocking in and not doing their work. But when I think about it from the lens of the conversations that I've had, I think it's, how do I reduce this hypervigilance, stressed out state? And once again, you just have these two very polarized sides of the story yeah, that yeah, yeah. ultimately I think just get used to get like clicks and, <laughs> you know, here's how to stop quiet quitting. Of course, someone's going to click on that article. I don't know. I just feel like it's a very clickbait kind of title mm -hmm. to put on yeah. content. I think the whole, cause I saw, I had a, a few, few people on this podcast when this whole thing came out and a few of them were like pretty crazy. I was like, they're like, you're just lazy pieces of, you know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, but when I, but when I read more about it and I just read people, I was like, uh, not really, man. Because like, I was, you know, one thing that, uh, I heard about this, not, not while this was going on, but it actually, I heard about it before and I just recalled it during. But Gary V said one time he was talking about, he was talking at a conference and he was like with, um, and somebody asked him like, how do you find really good employees? And he said, what do you mean? And the guy said, uh, well, I just can't find anybody as motivated as I am. And he goes, he, he like made him stop. And he goes, why do you think anybody should be as motivated as you to like build your own company? He's like, that's what people wow. get messed up. He's like, nobody's going to be as excited as you. Right. He's like, and, and then he goes, and then he goes, and by the way, and they shouldn't be. He's like, it's your company. Like you should have people there who do a job, do it well. And then they help you reach the goals. He's like, I'm not telling you never to fire people. He's just like, 
but but expecting them to give all of the effort that you're giving as the owner he's like it's just crazy he's like you'll never find that and and he's like and by the way that's okay and then he pointed to himself he's like i you can still like i have um you know whatever however many businesses doing however much money um without this mindset that like everybody has to be as dedicated as me and that kind of changed my viewpoint because like i when i was looking at it i was just like and, and then you brought up a really good point that like dude i'm just a like I know this might be jaded and it kind of falls into your hypervigilance. So maybe we can have a mini coaching session right here, <laughs> but it's funny because like, I've like, I've worked for corporate America. Like I've worked for corporate Honda corporation. I've worked for these big, you know, these startups and like, you know, when you get laid off and then you just realize like that everybody is, feels like a number. Like for me, it just feels like I'm a number. So like, why wouldn't I do my side projects? Why wouldn't I do things that make me happy on the side? Why wouldn't I give you a hundred percent while I'm there? And then when I'm gone, man, I'm gone. It's my time because like you wouldn't hesitate to fire me. Right. Yeah. Not, not you personally, but like the company, right. Is yeah, like, totally. You wouldn't think twice about it. You wouldn't think twice about it. I, Cause I've been in this situation. It, it sucked. It was hard for everybody involved, but at the end of the day, we were names on a whiteboard. And they just went like this, <laughs> like, so why wouldn't I, you know, do, do those things? Like, I feel like in this relationship, like it's my job as an employee to be like, I, I do have an obligation to give my 100%. And if I'm not at a company that I can do that at, then I should figure out, you know, if I need to move or if there's something maybe mentally blocking me, or if there's a conversation I need to have things like that. Right. And so it's just, it's just wild when you saw, when that whole quiet quitting thing went down, I was, I was super, I was super frustrated. It, it's like, fr it was frustrating. It's very intriguing. And I'll share something to, to kind of respond to what you're sharing right now of, of, you know, why wouldn't I invest my spare time or even, you know, figure out this kind of harmony of, of still working, but developing my own thing. So before I as I was making the decision to quit, I can't remember if I had sent in my resignation or not, but I reached out to, I got connected with this career development individual. He's like a, a, a VP at a large company out here in the Midwest. And I connected with him through a friend and he said, and I've searched far and wide to find this framework. So I'm just giving credit came from this conversation, but now I use it a lot. But he said, I found that there's these five different pillars in our careers that change and evolve over time. And you usually have one or two of these pillars that are the leading motivating pillars for you. And so they are to get high, get free, get ahead, get secure and get balanced. And so to get high just means you want to do something that you're having really fun doing to get ahead means that you want to climb the ladder. You want more position, responsibility, visibility, whatever that is to get free means, I mean, kind of what I was wanting to do, like you just want to go out and totally have freedom, right? Very straightforward. Get secure means maybe you need more financial, mental stability. Um, so you might take something that has less freedom, but gives you more of that security and then get balanced as, as more work-life harmony. And so hearing that he's like, you know, what, what do you think historically have been your leading pillars? <clears throat> and for me, I was like, I wanted to get ahead and I wanted to get high. I wanted to do things that I like, but I definitely was like, I want to be a senior VP of people operations, or I want to be a chief people officer, a chief talent officer. I was always working towards that next position, always working towards my next promotion. And that did result in longer hours, more complicated projects, like things that were like very exhausting and draining. And I had just come to a point where I said, you know what, right now I actually really want to get free. I want to go build something. I want to go do something new. I know that I'm capable. I love networking. I love trying new things. I'm not afraid of failure. And so this conversation helped me see that it's okay to change priorities. Maybe in five years, 10 years, five months, I might say, you know what, this is a great experience, but right now I want more financial security. So I'm actually going to go back to a nine to five and maybe my desire isn't to get ahead. 
but it's just to get secure and to get high. Find something that I like, make money. Because as you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm constantly having to pitch and sell myself and find new clients. And, and that's a struggle and a joy all at the same time. But I share all of this to say, I feel like quiet quitting is just a, a manifestation of people whose priorities are shifting. A lot of us wanted to just get ahead, you know, get secure or whatever it was for a long time. And I think through the pandemic, through layoffs, all of these different crises that we've experienced for an extended period of time, people are just realizing, you know what? I actually just want more balance in my life. I actually just want something different. And I think that quiet quitting is just a result of this shift in priorities for a lot of people. Um, and then especially with social media, we also, we have much more accessibility to see different ways of living and making money. I yeah, think I'm, get ahead yeah. used to just be the default answer, because like you said, everyone wakes up, goes to work in their nine to five, gets together at the coffee shop, goes home and does that. But now with social media, we're like, wait, I can actually get free or get balanced or or get high mm. in a lot of different ways than just having a nine to five. So that was mm -hmm. kind of a, a, a long response, but it's something that's really helped me understand that A, it's okay to shift my priorities. And it's also helped me understand kind of what other people are going through as well. Yeah, I really appreciated the answer because I feel like a lot of people resonate with that, me included. I think it's really interesting because you know, people can find a lot of fulfillment elsewhere. And I think the biggest question that I hated, and this might've been like me as a millennial, <laughs> but like the question I hated the most was like, where do you see yourself in five years? I was oh, like, I, I would tell people yeah. right up in an interview, I write up in an interview, but I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I have no clue. And I'm not going to commit and, I, and I'm not going to, and and that's how I want it to be. Cause like, like you said, like, my, my goals and my family situation can change. Like, I feel like people have always been like kind of strapped. Like, cause you know, in the Midwest growing up there, it was like, it was like, get a job, get the gold watch after 40 years. And that's it. Like, that's what you did. And you just found a company and work. And it, yeah. and it was like this stoic sense of like being a man that was like, Oh, your job sucks. Well, welcome to being a man, right? Like suck it up. Go to so work. true. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I don't care if your so job sucks. You know, we have X, Y, and Z. And I feel like while some of that is true, the part that isn't true is what you mentioned, right? There's actually a ton of different ways that I can support my family and that I can also, you know, find happiness and success and, and whatever that looks like, right? And and I can do sometimes I can do both of them at the same time. Totally. You know what I mean? And I, like, I do know. Like yeah. I do, you know, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was <laughs> go just going to say also consider that the people who are frustrated about quiet quitting are people who are in, and this might come, I don't know how to quiet quit, across, but we'll who know. Quiet the, quit. <laughs> yeah. But also I think people who are in older generations who, to your point, I would have never quite quit in my day. I would have been grateful for my job. I would have done X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. They have such different experiences because they didn't grow up with the accessibility to different types of work and creation that these younger generations did. So I think also maybe seeing this mm -hmm. flexibility or asking for a hybrid work schedule, quiet quitting is really just this label for people are now starting to work and innovate and create in ways that I never did in my generation. And that scares me because what does that mean for the reliability of my workforce? Does this mean they're going to produce less? Does this mean they're not going to be, you know, as stable for me? So I also see it, you know, now trying to have empathy for these people who are upset about quiet quitting is, is it does put them at risk because they, you know, they might not understand what, you know, what their people are doing. Well, and that's a perfect segue into, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I, I got to reel it in because that's a perfect Yeah. Sorry. I realized we, we didn't. Your, yeah. No, you're good. No, you're good because no. And this is why though, because you are on LinkedIn and you're really fascinating to read when you talk about having conversations and asking good questions. And so when this happens, let's say it's very apparent in someone's business how do you approach that conversation as a leader 
and maybe as an as an employee, right? Because that's ultimately what I feel like I learned the most from you when I read your posts is like how do you communicate, right? So awesome. Um, how do you how do you approach those conversations? Like if you see someone quote unquote whatever, if you feel like you see someone quiet quitting, or you feel like look, I'm I'm not like I'm hitting my as an employee like I'm hitting my my wall like I can't don't feel like I'm progressing I don't feel like I'm learning I don't feel like I'm I feel like I hit a salary cap whatever like how do you how do you do that Oh there's so many ways to answer this question but I do think in part you could use what I just shared of of talking about these different priorities and maybe you're not mm-hmm. labeling it as get high get ahead but I think if I'm a leader and I see someone who's disengaged which I have I was people leader for years. And and you can tell, right, when someone's less engaged, whether they're not coming into the office as much, or they're not engaging in team meetings, or they're not asking the questions that they used to, they're not, uh, you know, being as assertive as they used to, it could be quiet quitting. Or there were also times where I checked in with an employee and they said, you know what, I'm a single mother and I've had to I've had more custody of my child recently and I'm having problems with my ex-partner or, you know, my kid's been sick. I think, so I think first is just like understanding what is reality for that person um, and what's Mm -hmm. going on. And hopefully you have an ongoing one-on-one conversation where you're building that trust and you're not just jumping in and saying, Hey, Dalton, when's that project going to be done? But (laughs) Dalton, what's on your mind today? Dalton, what's important for you? What is keeping you up at night? And and I know people talk about the importance of these questions, but I think until you're in a conversation where you have an employee that's really opening up, it's almost like, like I want to say, when you know, you know, like, you know, you're getting mm-hmm. through to an employee. If you're asking the question, like, am I really connecting with my employees? You're probably not. Because there are, and, and maybe that sounds really critical, but for me as a leader, I could, I could also tell there was times where I'm like, man, that one-on-one conversation, like I wasn't very engaged. I wasn't very present. I wasn't prepared or, you know, I could tell that there was something more. And so I scheduled a follow-up conversation. I was like, Hey, you know, I don't really feel like we got to talk about you. We just talked about work do you want to catch up and, you know, put in your AirPods, go for a walk and let's just talk about life. I had an employee who's like, you know, he helped, he helped me a lot. He's like, you know, we have a lot of one-on-one conversations where we're talking about work, but I'd love to just get to know you better and and your leadership story. I want to talk to you about a book I'm reading. So he's (laughs) halfway across the country. So am I, but we just both plugged in our AirPods and gave each other a phone call. We didn't do it over zoom. We both just went for a walk around the block. So Mm -hmm. I know that's not directly answering your question, but I think the first part is just like getting creative and how you're building trust with your employees. You don't build trust mm-hmm. by just talking about work. And then I think secondly, how do you start a conversation around how are you doing with your job? I think is is being compassionate and being direct. Is, and there's a there's a framework that I've talked about on my podcast that I share with people a lot. Um and it's called compassionate confrontation. And it mm-hmm. stems from a framework called nonviolent communication. But I I like <laughs> to teach it as compassionate communication because that's a little less threatening. Um, yeah. But essentially, it's, it's sharing observations and asking questions. And so mm-hmm. if I notice that you are not coming into the office as much, um, I'm going to say, hey, I've you know, I observed that you're not in the office as much. And I'm wondering if you would mind telling me what's changed for you. It, it's mm-hmm. not, Hey, you haven't been in the office as much. Is everything okay? You want to ask an open-ended question. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I've observed this. I've observed, or Hey, I've noticed recently that I haven't seen you engaging as much in our team meetings. Would you, would you feel comfortable telling me if something's changed? Or I guess that's a yes or no question, but you know, would you mind telling me what's, what's going on for you? And so sharing an observation provides the context for the question. Because if I just come straight to you and I'm like, Hey Dalton, what's been going on lately? And you're like, Oh, nothing. Everything's good. I'm like, okay, things are good. Nothing's nothing to worry about. You're doing okay. You're liking your, you're like, as an employee, you're like, okay, what are you wanting me to tell you, right? If I'm just beating around the bush, 
So providing context in combination with an open-ended question helps the employee understand, okay, I'm, I matter. I, they notice me and they're wanting me to tell them about my engagement instead of just the, Mm. so hopefully that makes sense. Compassionate confrontation also has a few other, other (laughs) parts of the framework that can be used when managing expectations, but just for checking in with someone, providing context and an open-ended question will get you a, a, a good pulse, hopefully. Yeah. I love that. We and and let me nerd out real quick on sales because yeah. as you were talking, it just reminded me of how I approach a sales conversation. So like you you called it compassionate confrontation. And and in yeah. my sales training, I call it I, it's the same thing, but I call it tactical empathy. Which is which is basically you know very similar from awesome. from how you described it. Which is like you know, when you have compassion, when you have empathy, I love those. I love these principles because not only um, people think they're kind of like woo woo and, and you get kind of fluffy or whatever, but like empathy is, is when I actually studied empathy and I learned what it was and I learned how to implement it, it's actually pretty, it's, I don't know if this is, it's actually pretty relentless. Hmm, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, empathy allows you to set boundaries. Like I care about me enough to know and, and and I care about our relationship enough to know that we can't cross this line. You and I can't do this. Right? Like or or like I want to stay in a good headspace. Like empathy is very selfless, but it's almost like this paradox of there's there's a paradox of empathy that I've learned about. And it's this idea that the more the more you show others it's kind of like the paradox of like selfishness kind of like the more you establish empathy and you show people around you that you care about them, you're actually doing a lot for yourself. So it can almost seem like empathy is very selfish, but in the sense that like when we're all caring about each other, we actually know how to take care of ourselves. It's kind of like Brene Brown talks about like, you know, boundaries are actually full of love, even though it feels like it's selfish. Right. But it's, it's kind yes. of, you know, it, so anyway, it's just, but that's how I approach sales. Like exactly what you said, like you said, sharing observations in my course, it's called labeling, <laughs> oh, right? Like, Hey, right. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, Hey, I've just noticed yes, like, Hey, yeah. you said, you mentioned earlier, you said this earlier in my experience, this is what's happened in this situation before. Is that the same for you? Would you agree with that? Like never asking yes or no questions, right? Always asking open-ended questions. So it's always just funny, like negotiation, you know, when people used to say like everybody's in sales, that used to be like a buzzword thing and everybody would be like, yeah, 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 whatever. But the more I've noticed it though, if you're talking to people, if you have to approach a conversation with another human being, like that's a negotiation and whether, and I love your approach to it. Cause here's the other thing I love about sales is like, and, and then being in the sales training world, like my, my stuff doesn't work for everybody and that's cool. You know what I mean? But like, Yours works for a lot of people and they, a lot of people would resonate with that. Even in like, Hey, how do you like sell something? Well, you share observations, <laughs> you know, you have, uh, you know, compassionate confrontation. Cause that's what it is. I mean, like asking somebody for money is not, <laughs> is not a very compassionate conversation unless you yeah. come at it tactfully. Right. It's just fun. It's just yeah. very interesting. I hear, I see a lot of connections and it's a lot of fun. No, that's really fun. And I think it's, it's what makes it so hard to practice because it is so simple. It's almost like, no, there's gotta be a more complicated answer. Leadership's gotta be, (laughs) we almost want to make good leadership or good performance or good conversations unattainable because then it gives an an excuse as to why we can't have them and why we can't create them. And so I think sometimes when people, mm-hmm. you know, people might be listening to this podcast, yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about empathy. I know I need to ask open-ended questions, <laughs> but that's because it's effective. Like you said, it's relentless. It's, it's getting people to open yeah. up and connect with you. It's just, it's just and beca- Yeah. And because it is so attainable, I think a lot of people are just like, no, you know, it needs to be more complicated. We want to make things complicated because then we don't have to do them, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny too, is uh, I go on podcasts you know, specifically to talk about like sales and things. And, and I, I get the question every once in a while. That's like, all right, so what's the key to sales? If you could boil it down to one thing. 
And I think it's a great question, but my answer is always very anticlimactic and, and excuse my language, but it's always the same answer. And I just go like, give a shit about someone else other than you and you'll be yeah. successful in sales. Yeah. Like that's it. Like if that's all, if, if I could, if I only had one second and you said, teach me sales, that's what I would tell you. And if you got it, you'd be fine. There's a lot more to learn, but if you started there, if that's where I was starting with somebody, we'd be further ahead than half, half of the people that I teach. Because it's like, that. why don't you care about somebody else other than you? <laughs> and you'll, and you'll actually make, you'll actually be so successful in sales. You'll walk away with the Rolex. You'll walk away with the presidential club. And it's that, it just goes back to that paradox of, of selfishness that, that, that the more mm -hmm. you care about other people, the more it comes back. And it's kind of like karma, like you go through every day and, and the, the results that you get every day are a direct correlation to what you put into it. Right. Um, and so it's just this funny way of thinking about it, but I used to get, people used to be like, oh, I can never be a salesman. They're sleazy. And my response was always like, well, don't, well, no worries. I totally get it, but I make way more money than the sleazy salespeople. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that, I think that's fantastic. And I'll, I'll share super quick, um, a, a quote, and this was a, like a driving quote. My, I did a master's in organizational leadership and like my my capstone and all of my focus was actually on one-on-one -on -one conversations with employees. That's what my research was on. I developed a product on it. And that's what also kind of gave me the foundation to quit my job is because I have this one-on-one -on -one conversation card deck for leaders. But a lot of it, not a lot of it, but in part, it was inspired and focused and driven around this question or this quote from Albert Einstein. He said, if I had an hour to solve the problem, a problem in the world depended on it, I would spend, and there's a lot of variations of this quote, but he's like, I would spend 55 minutes asking questions about the problem. And then I would spend five minutes solving it. So just another an, a quote, I think like, that's what I always share with people <laughs> is, is if you're trying to solve a problem, it's asking lots of questions, listening, and then it will be super clear. So whether that's quiet quitting mm. career growth <laughs> navigating what's a priority for you. I just feel like asking the right questions, um, which is a lot of, as you know, mm -hmm. you observe the content that I create is, is helping people know, okay, what are those questions to ask? Yeah. And I love it because again, like my sales process is empathetic selling solutions. Like that's, that's the whole thing. Um, and what is, what is selling with empathy? It's, it's this, right? Like I teach people, you should spend you should spend 90% of the sales process on the qualifying and discovery. Cause again, it sounds harsh, but like they're going to tell you how to sell them. Yes. And by yeah, the way, they'll tell you if, what's important to them. <laughs> yeah. And if, and by the way, if, if what's important to them and what you offer don't match up, then move on. And that's the hard mm -hmm. part. That's where I get the most flack is like, mm -hmm. if you can qualify somebody, you can disqualify somebody. And that doesn't mean that, it could mean that I'm not ready for you as a client. Like you have these problems that I've never even imagined solving. So you need to go see someone else, right? Like, or like, Hey, um, the problems that I solve, you haven't hit you have, It doesn't feel like you've met them yet. Right. Which, and none of those are like bad, right? Like, I'm not saying like I were better than you cause it could be very much the opposite, but mm -hmm. you'll never know that unless you ask questions. And then the empathy piece of it is like, again, like, how do you, how does somebody feel on the other end that you care about them? And it's that you got to know them right through these questions. You understood their pain because you got to figure out, cause you got to know their pain. Like, um, and it, and it wasn't that you've ever like experienced it. Cause I was a crisis counselor for the crisis text line. Mm -hmm. Uh, like this, basically this national suicide hotline, but for texting. And, uh, yeah, that's actually where I learned a lot of the things that are in my sales process. Oh, that's incredible. Because imagine, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It, 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 that was actually one year. I did it for a year. That was actually the most, like, that was the most I've ever learned about selling and myself as a human being was like being in that volunteer program. And it was, oh. I learned a lot because I like, I got punched in the mouth quite a bit. Uh, it was very humbling. It was crazy, but anyway, but it's just like this, right? Like what questions do you ask so that people can feel like they, that you care, mm -hmm. right? Because like at the end of the day, like if they don't feel like you care, then 
I don't care. Right. Cause I, I'm jaded enough to where like, cause I think it's always funny because the people who just laid off half of their sales staff, those CEOs were the same CEOs a week ago that were on like Piers Morgan saying like, or like Grant Cardone saying like, you shouldn't need to cut your budget. Just figure out how to make more money. And then they go lay off 50% of their sales staff because they don't want their bottom line to change. And it's like, yeah, I don't believe you anymore because culture is what you celebrate and what you tolerate. Right. And you just showed me I like that. that your personal culture is, is you celebrate cutting money wherever you can and you tolerate losing people even when it's uncomfortable for you. Right. Or, or like cutting people even when, even when it's uncomfortable, right. Like to keep them. And so I was like, I learned everything I needed to know about you for the most part. Right. Like, and that's a pretty unempathetic statement, but until, but that's how, but that's like where we come from. And so your questions and, and approaching these conversations that way, just like, you know, because I feel that way. And then, and then CEOs will be like, oh, you're just a baby. And I'll be like, cool. It's fine with me. <laughs> like, yeah. I well, yeah, I, I like your right. definition of culture. That's, that's something that I'm writing down. I've been taking notes, but I, I like what you celebrate <laughs> yeah, and what you tolerate. I think that's a very simple and, and easy to remember yeah. definition. Well, and that's not mine, by the way. That is from, do you know the company Brandless? Have you ever? No, I haven't heard of them. Okay, so Sydney Tetro is the CEO of a company called Brandless. They're a big public company here in Utah. She worked for like Disney. She's got like this huge resume. Very impressive. And I got to interview her and she's wonderful. She, that's, what, that's who taught me that. Because I had the question, because culture is awesome. like a buzzword. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a it's buzzword. Like it's this culture... big fluffy thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you put culture, quiet quitting, and uh, you know something else in a in a LinkedIn post, you're gonna hit, you're gonna go viral because everybody's gonna want to read it. <laughs> yeah. Predictions, culture, empathy, whatever, like all these things, you're just gonna go viral. And so, like, yeah. it was always frustrating. So I I asked her, like, I was like, you know, it's really frustrating for me to hear this word because everybody thinks they have it, and it's ping pong tables and Dwight Schrute quotes and like, and then we all get laid off in six months after being hired. Yeah. <laughs> you know Dwight I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's another thing too. Um, kind of tying this all together with like culture and conversations and quiet quitting. And it's all these things. I think as, as a leader, if you can get to know your employees in a way where your culture, you know, what you're celebrating and tolerating is people achieving their personal measure of success then when you have budget cuts or layoffs and you're not able to do the pizza parties and fly people in and do the swag and the t-shirts, those are, those are recognition. And this is something I talk to leaders about a lot too, is distinguishing what's culture and what's recognition and what are rewards. Those recognition and rewards influence culture, but they do not create culture. So I think that's like a good way I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just really liking this definition. I think it kind of sums up in part what we've talked about is, are we, yeah. you know, just celebrating results or are we really celebrating someone's individual success being achieved? And maybe for them, that does mean mm -hmm. taking Slack off of their phone, investing into a side hustle. Like I think as a leader, really getting to know what that person values. Is it getting ahead? Is it getting high, getting free, getting balanced, right? If you want to use that framework, great. But I think that will create mm -hmm. true and lasting culture that doesn't depend on the pizza parties and the ping pong tables. <laughs> yeah. And I really got to know that uh, with that definition, because then I looked at all the places that really were hard to work at for me, even as a salesperson. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, was, we, we just, you know, it's what we celebrated and what we tolerated. And, and when I look back at some of the times when I was a leader and I wasn't perfect, because when I was a, first a manager in, a, in, in the dealership, I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible <laughs> as, a, as a manager and as a leader. And so, but it was like, I go back and I look at this, some of these things and I didn't really get to know people. I didn't really, it was all results. It was like, we didn't care. And as I've matured in leadership, like I've definitely been able to see that as we grow. So um, anyway, it, this was a really fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, but Ella, tell us where we can find you, where we can 
if somebody wants to get a hold of your coaching or your programs, like where can we find you? Where can we follow you? All that good stuff. Yes. Thank you. So I am Ella Wright on LinkedIn. Uh, you can go there to find, I post almost daily about everything that we've talked about. So conversations, different perspectives on growth, personal development. And I'm really speaking to an individual trying to grow in their career, but I also post a lot of content that's beneficial for leaders trying to develop others. And then, as I mentioned, I, I my services kind of work on both sides of the bridge. So I, I have businesses that I work with as clients who say, you know, hey, we want help with our manager onboarding. We want help doing a team building exercise. So I create content and sometimes it's ongoing things where I'm creating something on a monthly basis, or sometimes it's just a few courses for some leadership onboarding and then I'm checking in and consulting afterwards. And then I also do individual uh, career coaching. So I had about, I had 10 roles in five years. I changed companies. I, I've done a lot of the things that people talk about doing early in their careers. So if you're someone who's early in your career, trying to figure out how to create your own success measures, how to prioritize the things that we've talked about today, that's something that I can help with. And last but not least, I am career chats with Ella on Instagram. And that's where I post a lot of short videos talking about, yeah, really a lot of what we've talked about today, how to have conversations with your boss, um, how to grow your career and how to know yourself better so that your career fits your measures of success and your values. I probably sound like a broken record saying that, but that's where I've seen real <laughs> lasting satisfaction and fulfillment with people and not just, you know, getting to the next role and still being dissatisfied. So Ella Wright and career chats with Ella. That was a super long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, thank you so much. Hope everybody follows it. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about all this with us, Ella. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show.